I invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to the Gospel of John. It's been a while since we have been here, but we now return to our series in the Gospel of John. If you're using one of the black Bibles that are provided in the seats, you'll find today's text on page 570, or at least that's where we'll start. 570 of the black Bibles that are provided, John chapter 14, and then we'll be moving back and forth between John 14 the last part of 15, 16, I candidly don't know how much we're going to get to today. I don't know if this is a one message message or if this is a two message message. It uh, kind of kept growing on me. So there's a lot to cover and uh, we'll see how far we get in our study together and uh, by God's help have some understanding as we work together on understanding the ministry of the Spirit. Let's just pause for a moment and ask for God's help. Lord, we do acknowledge our need for you as we approach your word. We are humbled before it. We desire, Lord, to understand it, to apply it, but we cannot do that without the help of your spirit. We pray now that you would use your word in our hearts and lives. We pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation in life where everything was new for you? It was unfamiliar. Maybe it was a new job. Maybe it was college. Maybe it was a, a different place of living. And, and perhaps you had someone who came into your life at that moment who, who helped you, who kind of showed you the ropes. I, I tend to think about the first days of college. You're in a different place. You're in a different environment. The expectations are all new. You, you don't fully know. You don't know. You know. You're looking at your schedule and you're seeing, you know, the room, room 103 of such and such a building, and you have no clue where that building is. And you get out your little map, and that doesn't help you at all. So you're asking your your upperclassmen roommates. In fact, some colleges even now will assign an upperclassman to be kind of a uh, a mentor to a freshman coming in as they get familiar with things because there's there's a lot to learn there's a lot to digest and it really helps to have someone who can who can come alongside of you and can can work with you to understand what you're supposed to be doing and where you're supposed to be going and the expectations and how those expectations live out in real life have you ever had someone come alongside of you and help you in those situations in life well, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside of us in our spiritual journey. And these chapters of Scripture are preparation for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we see some things that are just seeds in these, in these few chapters that will be developed more fully as the New Testament progresses. But Jesus is introducing to his apostle, apostles the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And what we learn is that Christ works in us today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Christ works in us today through the ministry of of the Holy Spirit. Now let's just take a moment and step back. We've we've been away from the Gospel of John for some time, and you'll remember that we've been seeing Jesus presented in the Gospel of John as the Word made flesh. He is the revelation of God in human flesh. The apostles have been learning who he is. And they're just now beginning to, to gain an appreciation for, for the person of Jesus who he is, 
And they're also beginning to learn what he has come to do. Now, as they learn what he has come to do, there's some very unfortunate news that begins to come down the pike. Jesus begins to teach about his ministry and let them know that he will not be with them forever. In fact, he is not going to set up his kingdom in quite the way they would imagine. He will be a ruler one day, but that now is the time that he will sacrifice himself for the sins of mankind. And that, of course, we know the rest of the story after his death, burial, and resurrection. Then he returns to the Heavenly Father. He, he returns to heaven. But, but he wants to give them comfort. They're troubled by that. Things are, things are not looking good. The plan is not coming out the way they had expected it. And a, and a couple months ago when we had our last message from the, from the Gospel of John, we looked at the first part of chapter 14, which begins this way. Let not your hearts be troubled. He's looking at a group of apostles who have very troubled hearts. For whom things are, are not looking up. For whom things are, are sounding bad. And he knows that even in the days ahead there will be more trouble coming. And he is saying, do not let those circumstances trouble you. Your heart can rest in the knowledge that God has a perfect plan. And in fact, in the first part of John chapter 14, you'll remember from, from a couple months ago that he comforts them about, by giving him some of this plan. He even speaks about heaven. That is the eternal promise of those who, who repent and believe in Jesus. And so this eternal life that we often speak of, that the scripture often speaks of, will be lived out for all eternity in heaven. And Jesus is going, he says, to prepare a place. And that was the beginning of John 14. And so he gives them comfort. And really, chapter 14 is about the comfort. It's bracketed by verse 1, which begins, Do not let your heart be troubled. But if you go all the way down to verse 27, where you see really basically the last paragraph of the section, you see the bracket on the other end. Verse 27, Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This, this theme is coming back again. Jesus is bringing it full circle. He's tying up the package. I am giving you peace, he says, not as the world gives do I give. And then he says again the same refrain, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard it said, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than all. And then he summarizes the teaching that he has made in the preceding verses. So he begins, don't be troubled. I have a plan. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There is this plan includes you. And he says, as he shifts, as he, as he gives attention in the latter part of the chapter, to this one who will come to comfort them. And then he summarizes it again at the end of the chapter. Don't be troubled. And so we see a couple of reasons in this passage for us to have hope. And I wonder this morning, do you and I need hope? Do you and I often get troubled by the circumstances that are around us? Are we inclined to have troubled hearts? I wonder even this morning, what is it that troubles your heart? Is it a difficult situation at work? Is it a health scare? Is it a financial dilemma that you face? Is it a strained relationship with someone? 
What is it that troubles your heart this morning? And what is it in this passage, in these few chapters, from which we can take comfort? Well, if you this morning are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is to say you have repented of your sin and believed on Jesus Christ alone for salvation, there is a beautiful promise in this passage that Christ continues to work in you today. You can take comfort knowing that Christ works in you even through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we see that played out in this passage? Well, we learn, first of all, in verses 9 through 11, that this ministry of the Spirit only exists because of the Trinity, because of the unity of the Godhead. In verses 9 through 11 Jesus act, of, of chapter 14, Jesus actually articulates this relationship that he has with his Father. Jesus says, after Philip's question in verse 9, Have I been with you so long and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Right? Jesus is making the very simple point. That if you want to know God, you must know Christ. Christ is the way to know God the Father, because they are one in the same. Now, of course, we understand that the mystery of the Trinity is difficult to explain. In fact, it is easier to say what it is not in some ways than to describe exactly what it is. We, there is a tri-unity. There's one God who is expressed in three persons, all of them fully God, no one more God than the other, no one less God than the other. They are all fully God. There are not three gods. There is one God that is expressed in three persons. And so this is exactly why Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is not a lesser deity. Jesus is not a created one. He's not the first order of creation. Jesus is fully God from all eternity past. He is the incarnate word who has always been. And Philip says, well, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you don't understand. You've seen the Father because you have seen me. Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And so the work that Jesus did, the miraculous things that he accomplished while he was on earth, was evidence of the fact that he was truly God. And you remember, this is why they executed him. Right? This was not a misunderstanding that could have just been cleared up. They executed him for blasphemy because he claimed to be one with the Father. And so Jesus hearkens to the person of the Trinity. Now, all of that he is about to teach about the Holy Spirit could be reiterated all over again. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is one member of the Trinity, but he is not a partial God. And so this triunity that exists, one God expressed in three persons is the foundation. It is the fountainhead of all that we know about the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is going to teach more in depth about the Holy Spirit, but I want you to see one simple thing that he presents in verse 16. I will pray the Father, in chapter 14 and verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another 
helper. Now there are two very important words right there. Let's start with the word that is translated, at least in the New King James, it is translated helper. This is the word, perhaps you've heard the word before, paraclete. Okay, this, that's the that's a English transliteration of the underlying Greek word. It's a compound word. It means literally one who is called alongside. So this is the one who, who comes alongside, literally. It can be translated various ways. It can be translated comforter or helper or counselor. Jesus is saying, yes, I will not physically be with you, but I really will be with you, only better. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus were still alive in the flesh, he were still dwelling at one place on earth, there would be sold-out flights every day flying to Jerusalem to go see Jesus. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you one that can be present, that will be present with you all, always. Jesus continues to be with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. This is the one who comes alongside. And it is such a multifaceted word that if you pick up different translations, you will see a lot of different words. And it's almost, it's almost like a diamond with different facets. This, this coming alongside has the idea of comforting, of helping, of counseling. Jesus is with us each day, comforting us, helping us, counseling us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So that's one very important word. He says, I will, I will pray for another comforter, a paraclete, one who comes alongside. But the word even before that in, uh, in verse 16 is important because he says, I will give you another comforter. And you say, now why is that such an important word? Well, the reason is because in the Greek languages, there are two words that can be translated another. And one is heteros, from which we get our English prefix um, heterodoxy, for example. Um, and the other is alas. Now, the way I like to illustrate the difference between these two words is, is like this. If I'm sitting in a restaurant, suppose I ordered a, a cherry Coke. And I had my cherry Coke, and it was getting down towards the bottom. And I said to my server, um, ma'am, I would like another drink. And she might say to me, well, what kind of drink do you want? And I would say, oh, well, I don't mean I want another drink. I mean I want another drink. You see the difference, right? I could mean that I want a completely different drink altogether. I could mean instead of a cherry Coke, now I want a Dr. Pepper. Now you're talking, right? Give me a Dr. Pepper. Or I could mean simply that I want another of the same type. Well, these words are distinct in the original language. Heteros is another of a different type. Uh, something completely different. Alas is another of the same type. It is of the same makeup. It is of the same content. It is of the same essence as the first, but it is an additional. See the difference between the two words? All right, so heteros, another of a completely different type. Alas is one of another of the same type. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to give you another Comforter, which word do you think he uses? Another the same or completely different? Same. Yeah, the same. This is one 
one evidence, there are many evidences, we won't spend time on all of them today, but this is one evidence that points to the reality that the Holy Spirit is fully God. He is just as God as Jesus, who is just as God as the Father. I am going to send you another, one like me, he says, who will be a comforter, a helper, a counselor. And so the ministry of the Spirit exists as the one in three, and we sang about it this morning, throughout Christian history. Christianity has been, true Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, has, has been inseparable from t- Trinitarian belief. If you do not have the Trinity, you have something completely different than Christianity. So Jesus, on the foundation stone of the Trinity, teaches about this other who will come after him. This one who comes alongside. Now, what does he do? Well, there are many, many things, and we could do an entire study on on pneumatology, the study of the Spirit, and talk about what the Spirit accomplishes. But in this particular passage, we see, we're reminded several places that the Spirit prompts obedience within a genuine believer. The Spirit prompts obedience. You see, the Spirit is not something that just simply comes upon us and gives us a good feeling. The Holy Spirit is not a religious emotion. It is not a nebulous force. He is one who prompts within the believer obedience. We see it several places in the text of Scripture. We see it, first of all, in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. The one who loves God obeys him. Now, certainly there will be times that we fail, but the, the tenor of the believer's life, the course of the believer's life is that of obedience. One does not earn salvation through obedience. One does not merit God's favor through obedience, but one who is genuinely converted has the Holy Spirit living within them, which prompts obedience. We see it again in verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by the Father and will love him and manifest myself to him. One more verse to consider. Go down just now to verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And so we see in the ministry of the Spirit that there is obedience in the believer's life. The ministry of the Spirit is not just about making the believer feel good. In fact, sometimes the the Spirit will make us feel bad, right? I mean, conviction can well be described as, as knowing that something is not right between us and our Savior. That convicting work is that which drives obedience within the believer. Now, of course, we see this more fully developed as we see the ministry of the Spirit in the coming pages of the New Testament, but the ministry of the Spirit prompts obedience, and Jesus makes this point even as he promises the Spirit to come. We see also in this passage that the ministry of the Spirit is one of continued presence. Look with me at verse 15. Again, in chapter 14. If you love me, I'm sorry, chapter 16. 
All of the things that the Father has are mine, therefore I say that he will take care of mine and declare it to you. I have something incorrect in my notes, so I'm going to give you homework to find the phrase. <laughs> uh, I have it as 15b, but I, I, I think my notes are incorrect. He, he, Jesus promises in this text that, that the Spirit will abide in you forever. He will abide in you forever. And then as we see in the pages of the New Testament that the concept of the indwelling of the Spirit is developed. Apostle Paul particularly develops that. This is the foreshadowing of what we will come to know as the indwelling of the Spirit. That is to say, when one, when one repents of their sins and believes in Jesus Christ alone, they are sealed by the, the indwelling of the Spirit. See in the Old Testament where the Spirit would come upon people. But in the New Testament, those who believe in Jesus Christ are given the gift of the indwelling Spirit, and He abides forever with them. The ministry of the Spirit is that which goes on and on and on. It is a continued presence. The one who comes alongside doesn't just come alongside, He comes to dwell within. And so the ministry of the Spirit continues even with us today. That's a promise not just given to the apostles as Jesus speaks to them that day, but is also given to us as well. And we see that developed in Scripture. And then we see the ministry of the Spirit, which is in conjunction with Revelation. And I don't mean by that the book of Revelation. I mean the revelation of God in the written word. The the ministry of the Spirit really is one of, of revealing to us what we need to know to live a life that is pleasing to God. Verse 26 of chapter 14 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. Go down and see a very similar concept in chapter 15 and verse 27. We'll go to verse 26 and read the context. But when he, the Helper, comes, whom I shall send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now go down to verse 4, chapter 16. Just down a few verses, chapter 16, verse 4. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And you'll remember just a, a few verses ago that, that he promised that the Spirit would bring to their remembrance the things that they need to know. Now one final verse, still in chapter 16, down to verse 8. And when he has come, verse 8, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So in this passage of Scripture, the Holy Spirit is being promised to give the apostles exactly what they need to know, to, to reveal Jesus. Now, you may say, I'm a little confused, right? I mean, there are some things in this passage which apply clearly apply to us today, and there's other things that, that apply seem to apply to the apostles. Why why the distinction? Well, keep in mind the conversation and the context of what is taking place here. Jesus is talking to the apostles who will soon be without him, but he's also talking to the men who are the human instruments by which the New Testament was written. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the New Testament documents in this passage. 
And furthermore, we can know what applies to us as believers living after the revelation of Jesus that, that are living in the New Testament days because the New Testament itself tells us about the ministry of the Spirit. And so what Jesus is teaching in its very earliest form, in the seed forms, we see developed more fully. Right? Paul's going to come along in 2 Timothy and say, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Holy men of God, Peter says, are carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that is how we have our Bible, because of inspiration. Well, Jesus here in this passage is promising us that that will happen, whereas Paul is looking back and has, is stating that that has happened. That the Holy Spirit carried along holy men of God who spoke as they are removed. So Jesus is promising the New Testament. He is, he is promising the word of God that is sufficient to reveal God. In other words, the continued ministry of the Holy Spirit is written about in the epistles. And that is how we learn what he continues to do for us today. And his ministry is in large part through the word. Now, I am what would theologically be designated as, you ready for a big word? I am theologically what would be designated as a cessationist. That is to say, I hold to cessationism. Now, that's a big fancy term that simply describes the view that God has revealed himself in this age through his word. And that the word is sufficient. And that, in fact, there is not ongoing revelation in this age. God has given us his revelation. We were talking just about a little bit about this in the men's uh, book study a little bit ago. Right? If, and, and you've heard me say before, if a religious leader tells you God has said, then the question is, where has God said? Like, show me where God has said. God has given us his word. He has spoken to us. He's spoken to us through his word, and the word is sufficient for us. Now, the, the charge, the, the straw man argument that is hurled at cessationists is, well, they don't believe that the spirit is at work. Absolutely not true. Cessationists very much believe that the spirit is at work. We believe that the Spirit is at work. He has inspired His Word, and He continues to speak every day to believers as He empowers that Word to be effective in our hearts. Well, those cessationists, they believe that God is not speaking. Again, not true. God is speaking. The Holy Spirit convinces. He convicts through the Word. You say, well, I want to hear God speak. Okay, read the Bible. <clears throat> well, no, 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 I, I want to hear God speak out loud. Great, get your good MP3 player and put it on your car and, and hear the Bible read. And then you can hear God speak out loud. God is speaking. He speaks through his word that is sufficient. So, the Holy Spirit inspired the word. The Holy Spirit spoke through men who were carried along as the word was revealed. And we now have a record, a perfect record, a complete record, a sufficient record. But what is it a record of? What is the New Testament 
about what is the content of that revelation that we have through the power of the Spirit. Well, there are many ways to summarize the Bible, but above all, it is about Christ. And this brings us to the theme of John, doesn't it? The written word speaks of the living word. Jesus is the revelation of God. The written word records all that we need to know about the living word. Which brings us now to the final thing that we really must understand about the ministry of the Spirit. That the ministry of the Spirit is to magnify Christ. Consider Christ's words in chapter 14 and verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now over to chapter 15. And this, I believe, is where it is put most poignantly in verse 26. When the Helper comes, we read this a moment ago, when the Helper comes, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, watch this now, he will testify of me. Jesus says, he, the Holy Spirit, will testify of me, that is Christ. And you will also bear witness. We see in verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit's role in the church age is to magnify Christ, is to uplift Christ, is to reveal Christ. It seems to me that the Holy Spirit is perhaps the least understood person of the Trinity. The role of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Christ. If, if one goes away from, from some, sort of, some sort of experience saying, wow, the Holy Spirit was really awesome in that service, chances are good it wasn't the Spirit at all. Perhaps it was a powerful emotional experience, but the Spirit does not draw attention to himself. If we go away from a time of worship convicted of our sin, right? John 16, we read it in our, our uh, call to worship. The Holy Spirit convinces of, of sin and ju- of righteousness, sin, and judgment. If we go away convicted of our sin and we're saying how magnificent a Savior Christ is, it's a good sign that the Spirit is at work. Because the, the central ministry of the Holy Spirit is to uplift, to magnify, to reveal Christ. And so our attention ought to be on Christ. The reason that we can understand who he is and what a wonderful Savior it is is because he has left us with a revelation of himself through which the Holy Spirit works and continues to convince our hearts. And so I wonder this morning, do you need comfort? Jesus begins this this sermon by saying, don't let your heart be troubled when our hearts are inclined to be troubled. What is the work of the Spirit in our hearts? It's to convince us of who our magnificent Savior is. It is to remind us that, that Christ has given us what we need. And that even when we face challenges and we face difficulties, we can take comfort knowing that God has a plan. And He's not left us comfortless. He's not left us as orphans to flounder around on our own. And we have Jesus with us in the person of the Spirit 
who enables us, who strengthens us, who convicts us. If you're a believer this morning, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit that lives within you and enables you to follow after Christ, to hold fast to what you know to be true, to endure even the difficult times knowing that Christ is at work in and through you. If you've never repented of your sins and depended on Jesus Christ alone, today can be the day that you know forgiveness of sin, that you have right relationship with God. And even this morning, if you will abandon your way, your own self-dependence, your own uh, idea that you can make it to God in your strength, you'll turn from that and depend on Jesus Christ alone. You too can be saved. Have this promise that is given to us in the first part of John 14 of an eternal life in heaven. But then even as you live this life, to have the Holy Spirit working and ministering in and through you. Today we rejoice in the fact that Christ is with us. He is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he continues to work in us today through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for these words, for the reminder that we have seen in the pages of Scripture of the great Christ whom we serve and the way that you have not left us alone, but that you have even this morning reminded us of this one who comes alongside and strengthens us.